0: We're in John chapter 4. For those of you who are here just about every week, uh, you know that we've been looking for the past couple of weeks at this uh, famous Bible story of uh, Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. And we've gotten to the point now where she is uh, beginning to acknowledge that Jesus really is the Son of God, the Messiah. And um, she's going to go back to her village and bring other people back to meet Jesus. But right now, as we begin today, the disciples come back. Remember, they had gone to buy food. They'd gone into town to buy food. And so Jesus was left alone there with this woman at the well and has this conversation about living water. So let's pick it up here in verse 27. At this point, his disciples came. That's a little too much. And they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to finish his work. Do you not say, uh, and look at the fields, I skipped a line, do you not say, uh, there are still four months, and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives, well, I need to get some glasses, I think, or use bigger print. He who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap uh, that which you have not labored. For that which you have not labored, others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ the savior of the world—pretty exciting. Let's pray, Father God. We lift up this time in Your Word today. We ask that You guide and direct us as we navigate through this passage. Really, really good stuff here, Lord. We thank You for Your Word. We ask You to bless this time in Your Word now, in Jesus' name, Amen. So, right at the point where Jesus has really piqued this woman's uh, interest, really got her thinking above the natural level, up to the spiritual level. The disciples come back. They marvel that he talked with a woman. Again, we've talked about this many times, but we know that in that day and age, in that culture, in that society, and down through history, to be honest, it's unfortunate. It's part of the curse. It's part of the fall. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the garden, it altered everything. And it will be continue to be altered until Jesus comes back. But women were viewed as inferior to men. Not because they are. And again, I know that uh, you know radical feminism has risen up today and there's been a lot of hatred unleashed towards men. And my wife made an interesting comment on the way to church this morning. Because we were listening to a song. There was a song from the 60s by a lady named Sandy Posey. And the song is Born a Woman. <laughs> and she said, boy, they couldn't make that song today. They couldn't make that record today. <laughs> no, but she said, you know, finally women have gotten what they were hoping for, looking for equality and so forth. And now they want to become men. <laughs> and that's how the devil works. He's, he twists people's hearts and minds. But in all honesty, yeah, they... Women were kind of like second-class citizens, unfortunately. But not only that, uh, the the cultural norms of the day frowned upon exchanges between men and women in public, even your own wife. It was considered inappropriate to have an open, audible conversation with her in public. And again... The tendency of human beings, particularly under the influence of Satan, the enemy, is to go from one extreme to the other. And so you look at the Islamic nations, the Arabic peoples, how they cover the women all up. Some places you can only see their eyes, right? And the idea behind that is they're protecting their women and they're protecting men Ideally, the less you can see of her, the less you're likely to lust after her. Wow, that's a hot robe there. Yeah. And you know, there is some validity to that, just like the policy that they had in Jesus' day of not having an exchange uh, with a woman that you're not married to, and particularly in public, even if you are married to her. But today, again, after World War I, World War II, particularly as women entered the workforce more and more, We've seen a tremendous uptick in office affairs, inappropriate relationships between men and women who are married to somebody else. So there's always a balance. But the human condition, the fallen sin nature, is to go from one extreme to the other. Let's lock her in a closet. No, let's expose her openly. I don't know if you've heard of this website, OnlyFans. It's like an online pornographic website where mostly women, some men, can do just about anything they want and they get paid for it. That's not exactly my idea of women's liberation. What about you? And yet that's what's going on. It's it's insane. So here we are, they've got the cultural norms of the day. Jesus has just violated them, basically. And I've said this many times, I'll say it again this morning. The true liberator of women in all of human history has been Jesus Christ. He had many female followers, some of his closest followers outside of the twelve, Mary, Martha, uh, Mary Magdalene, there were a number of them. Who were the ones who went to the tomb on Easter morning, Resurrection Day, to finish honoring him by preparing his body for burial? Women, right? Mary Magdalene goes back and reports it to the disciples, and they don't believe her. But Jesus truly is. So, it's so sad that people don't see this, they don't get it. If you're a, a lady, a female, again, don't ask a Supreme Court Justice Katanji Brown to tell you what a woman is. Because she says, I don't know. I can't tell you. And she's on our Supreme Court! Oh, yeah. But if you are a lady, if you are a woman, you know, Remember that old song, if you're happy and you know it? Well, yeah. If you know that you're a woman, clap your hands. <laughs> okay, good. Some people still know they are, what they are. <laughs> then, and you want to be liberated. You don't want to longer, any longer be bound and controlled and manipulated. Then come to Jesus. He's the liberator. He will liberate you. Okay? All right. They marveled that he talked to a woman, yet no one said, What do you seek or why are you talking to her? The disciples were not inclined to question their master. Their assumption would have been that Jesus must have a good reason for interacting with the Samaritan woman. They're, They're surprised by it, a little taken aback. They don't challenge him on it. I always find it interesting when people want to challenge God. How do you do that? How do you challenge the creator of all things? The master of the universe. The one who's omniscient, all-knowing, omnipotent, all-powerful, omnipresent, everywhere at once. How do you challenge that? And yet there are those who try, but not the disciples. They knew better than to do that. So the woman, verse 28, then left her water pot went her way into the city and said to the men, we'll get to that in a moment, she was in such a hurry to go tell the men of the city about Jesus, she took off without her water pot that she'd brought there to draw water with. And she said to the men, so she targets specifically the men of the community. As the leaders of the community, their perception and response to Jesus would carry the most weight in light of what we've already talked about. It would be important and you know it's been an interesting pattern to follow that uh, at least in my lifetime as I've observed uh, many different churches that I've either attended or ministered in mostly in the area of music but to see how many churches where the men are really kind of in the back row and the women are kind of leading everything and I don't put that on the women I put that on the men for not stepping up and doing what they're supposed to do because as men and again That can be misunderstood and mistaken. Misogyny, you know, male dominance, all that. But clearly in God's order, in the Word of God, the men are supposed to take the lead. Until modern times, all the rabbis were men. Now they have female rabbis. In biblical times, all the pastors were men. Now we have women being ordained, not in Calvary Chapel, at least as far as I know, But more and more denominations. And again, it has nothing to do with inferiority, superiority. It just has to do with God's order. It doesn't matter what arena of life we're talking about. If there isn't order, what do you have? Chaos, right? You have rankings in the military, rankings in law enforcement, the school system. You've got your superintendents, your principals. At the high school level, you have deans and so forth. You there's, there is a, an order to things. And when, when that order is cast aside, the result is chaos. And I'd say our modern world is a perfect example of that. Okay? The whole idea is not to make a big deal or an issue out of who you are or where you are, but being the best that you can be wherever God's put you. Right? If you're the president... Ideally, you'd want to be the best president that God could make you. (laughs) Unfortunately, that's not going on right now. But if you're a janitor, be the best janitor that you can be, right? Bible says, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Do it as unto the Lord, to the best of your ability. So don't complain, whether if you're a woman or a man or... Hopefully you know. <laughs> Just be the best at what God has called you to be and to do. Right? Now, there's a lot of denigration and, and put-downs re- associated with being a homemaker, a housewife, a mother. Really? Without those amazing, awesome, wonderful homemaker, housema- housemaker, housewife mothers the great men and women that have gone before us would never have come because women are the they are the foundation of the family of the home but now that's looked upon as not desirable not good not cool i don't want to stay home and be a mom i want to go to work i want to climb the corporate ladder i want to be like a man anyway i could go on and on you know <laughs> Roland says, yeah, (laughs) you could go on and on. Anyway, she comes back. She brings this report to the men. And there's an upside to this. I can't stop. There's an upside to this, ladies. Because when you are... Now, if you're not married, well, Paul says, be content in whatever place you find yourself. If you're single don't seek to be married first corinthians chapter seven if you're married don't seek to be single and yet that's exactly what human beings do human beings are single are so desperate to get married they marry the wrong person and then they screw their lives up and then the married ones are not happy with being married to the person they're married to so they get divorced and they screw their lives up that's why paul says stay where you are and if i want the situation to change says the Lord. I will change it right I'm not sure how I got there what was I doing Roland (laughs) I was talking about the fact that there's a tremendous blessing for ladies because when you are if if you're married hopefully to a believer but if not it'll just improve your prayer life and and even if your husband's a believer that doesn't mean he's perfect right (laughs) But there's a blessing in being under a covering because your husband has to answer to God. And so you, well, your decision, honey, between you and the Lord, you work it out, you figure it out. There can be tremendous blessing in that. You know? It's like my wife used to work at the El Pinto restaurant for like 17 years. And she was also running our... Calvary Christian Academy but at one point they offered her a manager position and she turned them down because when you're a manager of a restaurant you got to be there from the time they open till the time they close sometimes six, seven days a week there there can be a real blessing everybody thinks I want to get to the top but once you get to the top there's nobody else to blame (laughs) right? right? So again, making my point, be thankful for where God has placed you. Be the best person that you can be in that position. And the Bible says that in due season, God will lift you up. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up if He wants to. And if He doesn't want to lift you up, then you shouldn't want to be lifted up either. Because you'll be someplace you're not supposed to be, and that's never a comfortable place to be. All right? I'm not even, I have no idea how we got into all that, but... There it is. So she leaves her water pot, goes into the city, brings this report to the men. Come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Now, I'm pretty sure in the the course of that conversation, Jesus didn't literally tell her everything that she'd ever done. But it was true, at least to the extent that her life seemed to revolve around an endless stream of relationships. Do you remember what we saw previously in this chapter? He, Jesus said, hey, go get your husband and bring him back here. I'd like to meet him. She goes, oh, sir, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, right, you have said you have had five husbands, and the guy you're with now isn't your husband. So she did tell him, he did tell her a lot. She says, everything I ever did, so... A big part of her life was consumed with this endless stream of broken relationships. Five husbands, one partner. And then on the basis of that, she says to the men, could this be the Christ, the Messiah? You know, the Jews and the Samaritans believed that one essential characteristic of the Messiah would be that he'd be able to tell the secrets of all hearts. And their belief was based at least in part on this verse in Isaiah, Isaiah 11:2, 2. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And yes, it is a messianic prophetic scripture. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And so, just like the Jews, the Samaritans were looking for the Messiah and they believed he would be, in essence, omniscient, all-knowing which Jesus was and is because he's God so they respond to her uh, report they went out, verse 30 they went out of the city and came to him so obviously she aroused their interest in meeting Jesus in the meantime his disciples urged him saying Rabbi, eat and so again As usual, the disciples were more focused on the physical than the spiritual, but to their credit, they were genuinely concerned for Jesus' nutritional needs. They knew that he was tired and hungry, stopped to take a break by the well there, and they were concerned about his strength, his energy. But he responds again, flipping the script, typical Jesus style. He flips it right back to the spiritual. He said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Matthew 4, 3 and 4. When the tempter came to him. Remember Jesus goes into the wilderness after his baptism. To uh, fast for 40 days and 40 nights. To pray before he begins his public ministry. And the tempter, Satan, came to him. He said, if you are the son of God. And some believe it should be translated since you are. I mean the devil knew he was the son of God. The devil knew it. Jesus knew it. Since you're the Son of God, command these stones become bread. Because I know you're really hungry. This is after 40 days of fasting. At that point, if you don't eat, you die. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. I have food to eat of which you do not know. Adam Clark. It says, properly understood, earthly substances are the types, representatives, and shadows of heavenly things. And that's what I've been talking to you about for several weeks now. Let me read it again. Earthly substances are the types, representatives, and shadows of heavenly things. So Jesus says, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Verse 33, therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Hey, did somebody slip Jesus a Big Mac when we weren't looking? You know? Truth be told, at this point, the disciples are almost as clueless as Nicodemus was. John 3, 4, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about being born again, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Which is ridiculous, of course. But again, it's that disconnect between what Jesus is trying to communicate at the spiritual level and the limited understanding of us human beings trying to always identify with it on an earthly, natural level. But Jesus, in typical Jesus style, there's a great Bible teacher who used to go to all the different Calvary Chapel conferences, Gail Irwin, and he'd written a number of books. The first one, the big one, that started it off was called Jesus Style. And in typical Jesus style, he flips it right back to the spiritual. So then, after they're saying, hey, did somebody run out the Taco Bell when we weren't looking? Um, Jesus said to them, my food, some translations say meat. My food, my meat, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Obviously, as a man, Jesus needed physical food just like the rest of us, but he clearly states that the source of his spiritual nourishment and fulfillment, which to Jesus, and by the way, it should be the same for all of us, but certainly for Jesus it was true that his highest priority was to be unconditionally obedient to the Father and to finish his work, the Father's work, which was death on the cross. For the sins of the world. My meat is to do the will of him who sent me. My nourishment. My spiritual nourishment. And fulfillment. Highest priority for Jesus. Should be for us too. Honestly we do fall short right? John 19.30. When Jesus had received the sour wine. He's there on the cross. He said it is finished. And bowing his head he gave up. His spirit. That's what he's talking about here. Let me read that again. Where is it? <laughs> John nineteen thirty. When Jesus had received the sour wine, that's not it. It's the one where he's talking about his meat. My meat or my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. You could say the same thing about the Apostle Paul. He was honed in, focused on that calling to preach the gospel, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Then it goes on, Jesus now launches off into an agricultural analogy, again, using a parable as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Do you not say there are four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. So there's a connection here. They're talking about Jesus. You need to eat something. Jesus says, "I have food you don't know about." Where do we get food? We get it from well, well, a big part of it, particularly in their day, but even today, agriculture, the harvest fields, the grains, and so forth. So he launches right into this analogy. Do you not say there are still four months, and then comes the harvest? So there's a waiting period between the planting and the harvesting right well when the crop is ready it must be harvested or it's gonna be lost right there's a time of waiting there's planting watering fertilizing if you will and then waiting for that moment when the crop is ready to be harvested so he's getting them into this agricultural mind frame here this mindset then he says lift up your eyes and look at the fields For they are already white for harvest. But he's not talking about the fields of wheat and barley and so forth. The fields, as you can probably imagine, when you're hanging around with Jesus back then when he was here on the earth, you got to really pay attention. you got to really pay attention. And I'm not sure they were always doing that. Just like we don't always pay attention to God the way we should, right? And you miss things. The fields are the fields of humanity. This kind of looks like a field, right? Got all these little wheats. You got the wheat and the tares. Hopefully, prayerfully, everybody here is wheat. No tares. because Jesus says, the tares will be ripped up and thrown out. The fields are fields of humanity... Specifically, in this case, a little field called Saqqar, or um, uh, there in, uh, by Jacob's well, Shechem, a couple of names for the place. The Samaritans, the field at this point specifically. The time, uh, the time for the harvesting of souls, Jesus is saying, is at hand. In this case, the harvest of Samaritan souls. So, in essence, we can eat later. We've got more important things to do. You ever gotten so busy during the day that you get to the end of the day and you go, Man, I forgot to eat today? You know? We should be like that, spiritually speaking. So involved in the work of Christ, the kingdom of God, that we realize, Wow, well, I didn't even eat today. I was too busy praying, reading my Bible, witnessing, whatever it might be fellowshipping. Galatians 6, 7 through 9. Paul writes, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man sows, that he will also reap. And we've talked about this before. One of the ways we sow good or bad seeds is with our speech. Encouraging people, uplifting them, or tearing them down, what have you. The sowing of seed. And again, this is not physical seed. It's spiritual seed. Whatsoever a man sh- sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh, in other words, for self-gratification of the flesh will reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season... We shall reap if we do not lose heart. We talked about that waiting period between the planting and the harvesting. One of the fruits of the Spirit or one aspect of the fruit of the Spirit is patience. We live in a time and day in which everybody wants everything instantly, right? Instant gratification. But patience. Do not grow weary... Wow, man, this is useless. This is hopeless. I've just dedicated my life to serving the Lord, trying to do the right thing, and it's not getting me anywhere. And then this guy over here who lives like the devil himself, he's all prosperous and got everything he could want and need. And, you know, I've had enough of this following the Lord stuff. That's growing weary, that's losing heart. We're not to do that. For us, the harvest comes, the final harvest. When we stand before the Lord. And the fulfillment of our redemption takes place. Our position right now in Christ. You're born again. You're filled with the Spirit. You're glorified. Don't look in the mirror. You'll ruin it. You're glorified. You have eternal life. You are eternal. But the fulfillment of all of this and of our new perfect imperishable, incorruptible, glorified bodies. I haven't gotten mine yet. How about you? (laughs) But we will. And that's what the Bible talks about as being uh, your redemption draweth nigh. You're already redeemed in Christ. He already paid the price. He already bought you back out of sin and death. But the fulfillment of our redemption will be when all those things are completed in us. When we're resurrected and we have our eternal Immortal, glorified bodies. And that's what we should be looking for, looking towards. Let us not grow weary while doing good. And that does happen to people. If you go back to the book of Malachi, the last chapter, God is addressing the people who have that very attitude that I just talked about. What good is it to serve God? Look at these guys over here. They've got it all. And God said, the time is coming when you will be rewarded and they will be judged. That time is not here yet. But it's coming. When it's obvious that God has been preparing someone's heart to receive the gospel we, particularly back in the uh, Jesus movement days, if you will, we used to say, boy, they they were, or we lead somebody to the Lord and go, man, they were just ripe. They were ready, you know? It's just like plucking fruit off the tree. Because God has prepared their hearts, and they are ripe to receive Christ. Jesus revolution, Jesus movement, time of great revival, millions, literally millions of people coming to Christ because God had prepared their hearts for such a time as this and that's what jesus is saying to the disciples here why are we here remember we saw at the beginning of the chapter that uh, there was all this hoopla going on with the pharisees trying to stir up contention between jesus disciples john's disciples between jesus and john hey john jesus is over there baptizing many more people than you are people are starting to leave you john and follow jesus John, said, hey no problem He must increase, I must decrease. But Jesus decided to go back up north to Galilee and it said he he needed to travel through Samaria. Technically, there was another way around. It was longer, but they could have taken the way around. And that's what most Jews did because they didn't want to have anything to do with the Samaritans. Why did Jesus need to go through Samaria? Because of this encounter. Because the fields are white unto harvest. Jesus knew that God was preparing the hearts of the people of Samaria to receive the gospel. Verse 36, He who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life. See, that should be a a total giveaway right there when Jesus mentions eternal life. He's not talking about physical crops of wheat and barley and so forth. He's talking about spiritual crops, a spiritual harvest. He who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life that both he and he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. He who reaps receives wages. And that's what Paul talked about in Galatians 6, 7 through 9 that we just read. Reaping, he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life not that we earn our salvation but we are investing in eternity he who reaps receives wages the one who harvests receives the blessings again whether it's on the physical level or the spiritual level the one who harvests receives the blessings and benefits of his or her efforts and then gathers fruit for eternal life the fruit is the souls of those who receive the precious gift of eternal life. That both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. So the sowing of the seed is that of planting the gospel in human hearts. Again, many times we will try to witness to someone, share our faith, whether it's a friend, a family member, a coworker. And there doesn't seem to be much response and we may walk away discouraged, right? But you just sowed some seed, folks, and seed takes time. Again, I know my buddy Brian Davis, he's really really anti, come forward, pray the sinner's prayer because, and he's right in this regard. Oftentimes, many, in fact, probably every time when someone gets saved, when someone comes to Christ, It's the result of a time period where seed has been planted. The seed is gradually growing in their hearts and in their minds. And we look at that one instant, well, you know, only takes an instant to be saved, and that's true. But God's been preparing that person's heart for a long, long time. Can it be instantaneous? Absolutely. But I think more often than not, we're really looking at that analogy. The seed has been sown and probably by more than one person by you by someone else by someone on the tv or the radio even by that person just opening a bible and reading it even though they don't know god yet seeds are being planted that person's heart and mind and the first stage in planting by the way is what tilling the soil right god has ways of tilling the soil of a human heart does he not And that's the first step before you can even plant the seed. That hardened heart has got to be, you know, rototilled. God comes in with his spiritual rototiller. How many of you have ever experienced that? Usually it's through trials and tribulations and difficulties and disappointments, right? That that hardened soil gets tilled, turned over, stirred up. The sowing of seed is that of planting the gospel in human hearts. The reaping is bringing those human hearts into a true eternal relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And I would say this. Next to our own conversion, the greatest joy that we can know in this life is leading someone else to faith in Christ. And I would propose that none of us have been doing it as much as we should be, myself included. Right? There's nothing more joyful and wonderful than being able to pray with someone to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. To see that look of joy on their face, that relief, that release. Nothing like it. verse 37 for in this the saying is true one sows another reaps so in biblical times yeah there were uh and even in today's world although everything's done much differently today it's all mechanized and so forth but in biblical times there were sowers and there were reapers and perhaps sometimes the same people because it was two different seasons sowing one season reaping another but as each did their part a successful harvest was the result again yeah there is some pretty awesome joy in being the one who gets to reap but in 1 corinthians 3 beginning of verse 6 paul writes i planted apollos watered but god gave the increase and that's what we always have to remember don't ever blame yourself if somebody doesn't receive christ they reject the message because it's god's job to give the increase So then neither he who plants is anything nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. And each one, in other words, we're all on the same team working together. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. So again, we're not talking about the reward is not salvation, but when we get to heaven, there will be rewards, spiritual rewards. And there will be rewards for Leading someone to Christ. It has nothing to do with whether you get to go to heaven or not. But there will be rewards uh, that we have laid up treasures in heaven, as Jesus said. <clears throat> For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. There, that analogy again. You are God's building. And so mixing two different analogies together. According to the grace of God which was given to me, says Paul, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. Paul had no problem with that. But let each one take heed how he builds on it, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Verse 38, Jesus says, I sent you, disciples, to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. So while they were off buying food, Jesus was there at the well sowing seeds in the heart of the Samaritan woman. He says, Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. So John the Baptist came, he was down at the Jordan River sowing seeds. In the hearts of the people, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Be baptized for remission of sins. And he's preparing the way for the Lord. Then Jesus was traveling throughout the countryside, sowing seed through his teaching and preaching. And so Jesus says, others have labored and now you have come alongside. You have entered into their labors. Being called by Jesus to be his disciples, they would now have the joyous privilege of participating in the harvest. So verse 39, many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. Notice it doesn't say all, but it does say many. That's a good harvest. Some were ripe and some were not. As Paul stated in 1 Corinthians 3, God gives the increase. It says they believed because of the word of the woman who testified. Folks, never downplay or underestimate your testimony. I was up in Santa Fe Friday night. My wife and I, my good friend Karen Lafferty, she had came out with an autobiography. She had a book signing. She, had, she started a little Christian coffee house there um, at the Nazarene Church, actually, right, right on a... a busy uh, thoroughfare there a lot of activity anyway I played a few songs and Karen wanted me to bring up some of my Jesus movement uh, memorabilia talk about the Jesus movement a little bit and uh, she had showed some video of young people back in that era giving their testimonies about you know drug abuse and being in jail and all these different things that wasn't my testimony and I, I shared with the group I said yeah I wasn't one of those people, but here's here's what happened with me. Over the span of five years, I lost both of my parents, and if that doesn't get your attention, nothing will. And I realized, you know, I have nowhere else to go but to God. I need to get right with God. And I did. So God works differently in different people's lives, but don't ever downplay or underestimate your testimony. It is powerful. It is dynamic. And it wouldn't even be a bad idea to sit down and really think it out about it, or even write it out. Because when I, sometimes when I ask people to share their testimony, it's very nebulous. It's very nondescript. It's like, well, he made me happy. Great. You know, he helped me get a job. You know, all superficial, superfluous things. What did he do? He saved your soul from the fires of hell. Hello. He died on the cross for your sins. He rose from the dead. You know, hone your testimony. Fine tune it. You know, I was lost in sin. I was promiscuous. Sleeping around, whatever. Hooked on drugs, whatever it was. But your testimony can be powerful and dynamic. This woman's testimony, she went into the village. Hey, you got to come and see this guy. He told me everything I ever did. It got their attention. It brought them out. Don't ever downplay your testimony, or underestimate the value. But it's not a bad idea to think about it. Think about what you might say when called upon. That's what, um, always be ready to give to every man an answer for the hope that's within you. That's what the Bible says. Because of the word of the woman who testified, and here specifically was her testimony, he told me all that I ever did. And today, folks, God speaks to us through his word and through the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. He reveals to us who we really are and why we need him. So even as Jesus spoke to that woman at the well, told her things about her past that he couldn't have possibly known unless he's the Son of God. Psalm 139, 1 through 4. O Lord, you have searched me and known me You know my sitting down, my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. He told me everything I ever did. Now, if you're not ripe, if you're not ready, you might not want to hear it. But if you're ready, if you're ripe, if you're willing, God will reveal to you Everything. He knows you better than you know yourself. And yet He loves you anyway. How amazing is that? Right? He sent His Son to die on the cross for you. God saves people that you and I would never save. Including yourself, maybe. I've never saved me. Are you kidding? But God does because He loves you more than you can possibly know. Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God it was his word we'll get to that in just a moment by his own word for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing (coughs) excuse me (coughs) piercing even to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of of the heart the word of God is like a scalpel a surgical instrument and God is the master surgeon he will cut through all the garbage all the baloney and get to the very heart of the matter and he will heal you if you let him and when I say heal you I'm talking about Your terminal illness called sin, which if not healed, if not corrected, if not taken care of, will certainly kill you, not just physically but spiritually. Verse 13, there is no creature hidden from his sight. He told me everything I ever did. No creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we, what? Must Must give an account. So, I've said it so many times in so many different ways. Everyone will have to ultimately kneel before the Lord. Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To him whom we must give an account. So, we have a choice. We can give an account now we can confess our sins to God. We can ask for forgiveness. We can repent, turn from our wicked ways, and follow after Him. And then the only account that we will have to give when we stand before Him will have to do with our eternal rewards. Do we get any or not? We still get to go to heaven, but you know, you've seen those military people with like rows and rows of medals and. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not going to be like that in heaven. Nobody's going to be showing off. But there will be a distinction based upon our faithfulness here in this life. Again, it doesn't have to do with salvation. We're saved by grace through faith. But when we stand before him as believers, we will not have to give an account for our sins because Jesus already took care of that. But if you're not a believer, if you choose to hold off on being accountable to God. Well, then you're going to have a lot to account for when you do stand before Him and kneel before Him because then you're going to have to give an account for your own sin and there is no defense, there's no argument. You will be found guilty and you will be cast away from His presence for all eternity. So I strongly recommend be accountable to God now. Give an account before God now. Confess your sins, repent. I do it every day. Because I'm still a sinner. I don't want to be, I'm trying not to be, but I haven't arrived yet and I won't arrive until I see him face to face. Verse 40. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed there two days, proving they were indeed ripe for the harvest. Folks, once you meet Jesus, you never want to be apart from him again. They didn't want him to go. Stay, please. We don't want you to leave yet. He stayed there two days. Hanging out with those deemed unclean by his brethren. Think about that. Now he doesn't just having a conversation with a woman at a well. Now he's just not going into the village and preaching the gospel. He's hanging out with them for two days. Unclean half-breeds rejected by the Jews but there's Jesus hanging out with them now he's unclean too according to the Pharisees and the Sadducees hanging out with those deemed unclean by his brethren Jesus always has time for those who want to be with him Do you know that you ever heard somebody say I just don't want to bother God I'll deal with it no you won't no you can't you can't deal with it you need Jesus And he's always available. He always has time for those who want to be with him. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever think that God's too busy for you, that he doesn't care. Jesus said he cares about the sparrow that falls to the ground. How much more does he care about you? And then what happened? He stays there two days. Many more believed, here we go, because of his own word. The first group pursued Jesus based upon the testimony of the woman. And that's a good thing. And after meeting him they believed. But here this second group perhaps they remained in the village but when Jesus went to the village and met with them they asked him to stay two more days. There's another group, another harvest many more believed because of his own word. After spending two days with those who had yet to believe, many more were persuaded to believe and trust in him because of his own word. Here's another thing to remember. Sometimes we put the onus on ourselves to bring someone to Christ. It's not the power of our persuasion that brings people to Christ. In fact, I think that's something the enemy will try to get us caught up in. Feeling this need to convince them, to persuade them. I'm not getting there. It's not happening. It's not working. It's not the power of our persuasion that brings people to Christ. It is the power of the Word. Of His Word. I came up with a little quip. Let the Word do the work. Let the Word do the work. That's one of the amazing things about the ministry of the Gideons. Going all over the world giving out new testaments and then many many testimonies that come in where somebody simply opened up one of those gideon bibles and began to read it and got saved it's because of the power of the word of god his own word that's why again your testimony it it's probably worthy of a little fine tuning a little thinking through because you want to have scripture in there That's where the power comes in. Our testimony, yes, it has power. It's dynamic. What God's done in your life, no one can argue with that. I used to be a drug addict. I've been clean for 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years. I used to be a prostitute. That's true. There's uh, ladies of the night who have come to the Lord and have powerful testimonies. How does that happen? For many it never does, but those who come to Christ can be delivered, set free, get married, have a family, and have a powerful dynamic testimony. But it always needs to be rooted and grounded. Paul said the foundation is Jesus Christ. Jesus is, comes to us through his word. One more verse. I thought it was doing good, now we're three minutes over. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said, For we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. So the first group, again, a good example of how God works in different ways to bring in his harvest. The first group came through her testimony. The second group came through the power of God's word. For we ourselves heard him. The woman's testimony planted the first seeds, but it was the actual words of Jesus that sealed the deal. Jesus brought in the harvest of which he spoke to the disciples. And then the response from the people was, we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Not we think, wow, that was, that was really great. That was pretty good. Good talk, Jesus. Gosh, we think you might be the Christ, the Messiah. No, we know when you truly come to know Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, Yeshua, Hamashiach, the Savior of the world, You know, how many of you heard this before? You know that you know that you know. Folks, this is a mark of a soul that has been harvested for the kingdom of God. Let's stand. Before Roy leads us in our final song, we want to take some time to go to the Lord in prayer. Um, I do want to issue a special challenge this morning in light of this message, if there's anyone here today who does not know that you know that you know, if there's doubt in your heart, doubt in your mind about where you stand with God, then I would invite you to pray along with me a very simple prayer. I'll just kind of give you an example, lead you in it. If you would like to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you haven't done that, or if you're really not sure, you need that what John Wesley called the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. And that's how we know that we know that we know. So that's the first prayer I'm going to offer up. But then, If you have a prayer request this morning, please raise your hand. I'd like to lift those up to the Lord. But first of all, for those who might want to receive Christ or rededicate, confirm your relationship with the Lord this morning. Pray along with me. Heavenly Father, I confess to you, Lord, that I am a sinner. Lord, I've sinned many times in many ways. And I ask for your forgiveness. Father, I desire to repent, to turn from a life of selfishness, self-focus, sinfulness, and follow after you. Father, please forgive me for my sins. I ask this in Jesus' name. Lord Jesus, I thank you for dying on the cross for me, for shedding your blood, that I might receive forgiveness of my sins and also receive the precious gift of eternal life. I thank you. Lord, I ask you to come into my life, to be my Lord and Savior, to fill me with your Holy Spirit, to give me the strength to follow after you. I thank you and I praise you, and I pray this in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer right now, I'd like to talk to you after the service. If you'd like to come up and let me know that you prayed that prayer, talk to one of the other leaders in the church this morning, or talk to a friend that you came with. Let them know that you have made that commitment to Christ. Father, we lift up the other prayer requests now. Lord, we've talked about the importance of putting spiritual things first, just like Jesus did and does. But Lord, we also acknowledge that we have everyday life issues to deal with. You know that, Lord. Lord, you promise to take care of us, to meet our needs, to give us health and strength that we might be able to serve you to our fullest capacity. So we do lift up now Anyone here today or anyone who's raised their hand on behalf of someone else or anyone watching on the internet. Lord, we lift up the health issues, whether it's a, a disease or a virus, a bacteria, an infection, whether it be cancer, or leukemia, uh, lung disease, Lord, COPD, allergies. Lord, there are just many, many afflictions that come upon us in these mortal, frail bodies and we know the reason our bodies are mortal and frail is because of sin but we thank you that you love us and you are the God who heals you do bring healing where medicine and doctors cannot prevail Lord you can and do prevail and we ask you to pour out your healing upon your people today Lord we call upon you for healing whatever the issue is we reach out to you we thank you we praise you we trust you and we lift these conditions up to you in Jesus name Lord, we pray for uh, mental and emotional health as well. Lord, you have created us body, soul, and spirit. And within that soulish realm, many difficulties can arise. Anxiety, depression, fear, worry, doubt, unbelief, anger, bitterness, resentment, jealousy, unforgiveness, Lord. We ask your forgiveness for any and all of those unholy feelings, attitudes, emotions that we harbor in our hearts. Please forgive us and set us free and bring healing to our hearts and minds. We pray in Jesus' name. We pray for relationships that have been damaged or broken. Lord, we talked last week about how the horizontal and the vertical intersect, that our relationship with you is going to affect and impact our relationship with others. So we ask that you'd help us to do what Jesus said before we try to remove the splinter out of someone else's eye. Help us to remove the log from our own Lord, to, to hold ourselves accountable before you. And Lord, help us to be instruments of reconciliation and restoration in those relationships that have been damaged or broken, whether it's a marriage, a friendship, a relationship with a coworker, whatever it might be, we ask that you would bring healing, relief, and peace. Lord, it can be very troubling and disturbing when we're at odds with other people. Help us to, to resolve those as much as it's possible on our part. With the power the help and the guidance of your holy spirit finally lord we pray for uh, economic issues which are be- a growing concern in our world today lord we are so grateful and thankful that you're our provider we ask you to give us wisdom and guidance on how to navigate these navigate these troubling waters of economic and financial uncertainty guide us direct us and we trust you to provide lord to help us to just walk in faith not by sight And we thank you that the provision for whatever it is, whether it's the rent, the car payment, the groceries, Lord, help us to look to you and to trust in you. And help us, Lord, as much as possible to help one another in these difficult times. We thank you that no matter what the question is, Lord, you're the answer. You've got the answers. We thank you. We praise you. Ask you to receive our final offering of praise this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.